Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Brook Green Gardens, presenting Bruce Monroe, Southern Light, an outdoor immersive exhibit featuring seven large-scale works of art and light. Now open Wednesday through Saturday evenings. Advanced tickets are required and are available at brookgreen.org. Hello and welcome to Spoleto Backstage. It's your ticket to a few of Spoleto Festival USA's most memorable performances and in this episode, a deeper dive into the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. Even in this unprecedented year without a Spoleto Festival, really it's been a year without a lot of things, there's way more than enough to explore and enjoy from past seasons. And, of course, the music of Johann Sebastian Bach is always something to enjoy, at least in my humble opinion. So I'm really excited today to get to listen to some different parts of his prolific output as a composer and to talk about them with my co-host today. I'm Bradley Fuller, and I'm really excited to be sharing some perspectives, some insights, and to be learning from First violinist of the St. Lawrence String Quartet and artistic director of the Spoleto Chamber Music Series, Jeff Nuttall. Jeff, really great to have you. Bradley, what a treat. This is a, a super fun show. And it starts starting with this incredible cantata that was sort of the, the foundation. But there's so many incredible works of Bach. And we've played lots of them through the years on stage at, at Dock Street Theater. So I, I think the combination is a little oboe-centric with the well, I'm biased, the greatest oboe player in the world, James Austin Smith, um, and, and Tyler Duncan, and then joining him for Echaba Ganuch. Yeah, so so we have what really is is sacred music in a sense, this cantata Echaba Ganuch that you mentioned, you know, something that Bach would have written for performance at the church where he was Thomas Cantor, you know, kind of music director, basically. And, you know, that's making an entrance into this chamber music setting. Interesting, but... Also, it works so well. And then before that, maybe something that would be a little bit more common, perhaps, on a, on a chamber program. You know, you have this concerto for oboe and violin and C minor, BWV 1060. Yeah, this is one of my favorite Bach concertos. And it's interesting, Bach, I mean, as you described, he, he had to write a cantata a week. I mean, he was incredibly prolific. And apart from having 21 kids, um, he... <laughs> he was constantly writing. So he would often plagiarize from himself and others. In this case, this concerto, you may know it as a, a two keyboard concerto or a two harpsichord concerto. It's on two pianos, but this is most likely its original form for oboe and violin. But he had no shame in stealing either from himself and, and redoing it in a different setting or from Vivaldi, say, and, and you know stealing from Vivaldi and, and just putting his name on it because he had to create so much music so quickly. And that's one of the other remarkable things about Bach. I mean, through all this vast output, the, the level of quality rarely dips below magnificent. That and the fact that he always rose to the occasion. So, you know, in Bach's time, well before the modern era, you know, and people like Beethoven would kind of severed this link between patron and composer. You know, Bach was very much beholden to whatever nobleman or church he was working for at the time. So this concerto, it, it's very likely that its roots were in this time of employment where he was working for this Prince Leopold of Anhalt Curtin. And while while in his service, because Prince Leopold was 
of a certain type of Calvinism at that time that didn't really go for all the elaborate musical performances and cantatas and things that Bach will get into later in his career while in a Lutheran church. Uh, in this other setting, he, he didn't really have an outlet for sacred music. So what should he do but give this focus on instrumental music? And so some of Bach's most memorable instrumental works are from his time in a little town of Anhalt, Curtin. So we have the Brandenburg Concerti from, from later on then, but some other great instrumental works, some of the most famous in the 1717 to 1723 period. And this oboe and violin concerto may very well have its roots then. Absolutely. It's amazing. I love the um, Bach described by the great, the late great Albert Fuller, who was a harpsichordist and scholar and, and taught at the Juilliard School in New York City. And he was a character flamboyant and, and so passionate about music. And he liked to shock his freshman class. He taught a, a class on Bach and they would come in and, and he would say, well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that Johann Sebastian Bach is very simple. It's about three things, singing, dancing, and making babies. And of course he would, he would use a very, um, profoundly different word for the third part. And the, all these freshmen at Juilliard would just sit up shocked. And, and he was, but he's totally right. It's, it's so transcendent that the religious fervor, he was clearly so dedicated to his religion, but the combination of writing melodies, unlike anyone else, and the dance is always there. Every movement has a connection to dance, whether it's a cantata or a concerto. And then that the human emotion, I mean, that's where the, the making baby part come in, but you can't separate that. And whether the, the fervor is religious or secular, it's always underlying in his music. And I think he sort of summed it up. That distills the essence of music in many ways. And then you throw in like a sprinkle of counterpoint. I mean, the greatest fugue writer of all time. You won't hear any of that today, but that was a whole other aspect of his compositional style and, and life that was important. But I just love that. Uh, you'll, you'll, for example, the you know this, the, the the concerto is the traditional three movement form, fast, slow, fast, that started in Italy. But the slow movement is just so beautiful. This lilting Sicilian rhythm and the intertwining of this magnificent melody, and it just transcends. It, it's what makes Bach so different and so much better than almost any other composer. Wow. I mean, that, the description alone just, you know, reminds me of why I love Bach so much. But, you know, what also does that, of course, is hearing the music. And, and sometimes it's very hard to put, put words on that, you know, to, to translate why I love Bach. So I'm glad to have had that Albert Fuller quote, no relation of mine that I know of. But, you know, I'll keep that in mind and, uh, you know, also let the music prove its own case. Shall we get into this concerto for oboe and violin? Absolutely. Hey, Albert did share your passion for music, though, Bradley. I, I think you would have got along very well. This is, uh, as I said, three movements, but the, the juxtaposition of major minor. So this brooding first movement, this effervescent light singing uh, slow movement, and then back to some of the, the drama of the minor and the, and the third and final movement. All right. Well, we'll hear it now with soloist James Austin Smith, oboe and Olivia Sohn, violin as well as Jeff Nadal and Owen Dalby violins, Mina Basin viola, Christopher Costanza cello, Anthony Manzo double bass, and Pedro Mutsievich harpsichord. This is Johann Sebastian Bach's Concerto for Oboe and Violin in C minor.
really phenomenal performance there of Johann Sebastian Bach's Concerto for Oboe and Violin in C minor, BWV 1060. Performing there were soloists James Austin Smith, oboe, and violinist Olivia Song, as well as Jeff Nuttall and Owen Dalby, violins, Mina Bassine, viola, Christopher Costanza, cello, Anthony Manzo, double bass, and Pedro Mutievich, harpsichord. Really phenomenal instrumental music there. I love any kind of Bach, Jeff. It's so transcendent, and it's so hard to put a finger on why it's so powerful. There's something about the perfect amalgam, the combination of the emotion and science and brain. You know, it's this weird. It's I, I'm not explaining it very well, but it's it's that there's I think very few other composers somehow combine the craft and the the machinery, the almost the, the mathematical perfection with pure human emotion and, and it's the balance is always always right whether it's secular or or sacred music yeah and and i think you know another way i've thought about the music of bach and why i like it so much is that it is so appealing and so immediately enjoyable on the surface but then even after you've memorized all the surface features and you've heard it many times you can you can go deeper with it each time and there's some composers i think who who are a little sequestered off because you know you have to already have all this knowledge and and really prepare to kind of get into the music then there are others who you know wrote really charming stuff but kind of once the surface appeal wears off it's it's gone but Bach has both that immediate grab of your attention but also somewhere to go after you've heard him many many times I guess that's why he's considered to be the greatest composer of all time well you know you mentioned Box music never getting old in a sense, and, and I definitely agree with that. But the fact is, in Bach's lifetime, he was always composing something new for, you know, the next occasion, it seems like, or, you know, another cycle of cantatas, uh, something kind of fresh for the churches where he was employed. And that brings us to the next piece for this hour, one of his cantatas, Ich habe genug, which is translated as I am content or I have enough. He wrote this this work in 1727 for, you know, when he wrote it, a pretty specific liturgical use in a, in a specific church with, you know, certain instrumental and vocal forces in mind. But, you know, about 300 years later, you can bring it out and it's still moving people the same way. And, you know, I, I guess I would just have to say Bach's nickname, some, some people have called him the fifth evangelist. So the four gospel writers and some have suggested Bach was really the fifth of them because his music is just that moving even if you're not exactly sure what what the german text may be saying it sits with you and i guess i should say on that note you know the text in this in this work does conclude with this idea of with joy with gladness you know i'm looking forward to my death you know almost wishing why had it not already come you know i'm going to leave behind the drudgery and the despair of this world and that that's a belief that Bach himself personally would certainly have held, but I tend to think his, his music speaks to people, even if, if they don't fall exactly within those, uh, you know, the, the Lutheran beliefs that Bach himself would have had. Let me just say, if this was happening every week at my church, I would have gone to church every week. I would not have missed a week. Can you imagine showing up for this the service and having a new Bach cantata like this every week? I mean, it must have been so powerful. You know, I, I've thought that too before, Jeff, and 
the cynical part of me in the back of my mind said, I bet there were some people sitting there wondering, you know, when is this going to get over so we can go go to lunch? <laughs> but I, I can't imagine how lucky they would have been, though, really to be there when Bach was Thomas Cantor leading the music services at the St. Thomas Church there in Leipzig. Or, you know, maybe on, on Friday evenings, I think it was, going to the Cafe Zimmerman coffee shop and hearing some of his secular instrumental works. I mean, wow, to have been there would have been something else. But thankfully... Pay, pay, sorry to interrupt, but uh, like imagine being one of the musicians. Like your gig is to rehearse these things during the week with Bach leading from the, the organ probably and then performing them weekly. And then next week you got a new score handed to you. I, it's that's one of those you know you often ask oh where would you like to be in history you know who would you like to meet i think this is one of those the top 10 definitely playing violin in Bach's church band uh, while these cantatas are being created it really really is too bad that we don't have time machines just to go back and be a fly on the wall in early 18th century leipzig but Thanks to modern recording technology, we can be a fly on the wall for some of these great performances from the Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series, including the great music, all the phenomenal performing there, but also some of that onstage commentary and banter from you, Jeff, and some of the other performers that really makes it such a fun, such a unique experience in the whole world of chamber music. So let's head back now to 2011, Program 5, for your introduction of this cantata by Bach. This year I got a phone call from Tyler Duncan. And I don't know if you remember, he was singing in Flora here on stage last year. And I met him, we grew up in Canada together, we became friends. And he called this year, said, hey, I'm in this Magic Flute production this year, but I'm, I'm not uh, singing that much. Do you think you, we could do something at chamber music? I said, oh, I got a great oboe player. And he said, ich habe genug. <laughs> and I said, oh yeah, I think that. And it, there's this incredible Bach cantata, number 82. Uh, it's for baritone and oboe, and it's one of Bach's most beautiful creations. It's on the topic of death, and his approach to it is written in 1727. And as, like most of Bach's cantatas, it was a job for him. He was writing for specific points in the church calendar, and this cantata was written for the celebration or the marking of the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and so, I thought, an opportunity to play Bach in the Dock Street Theater with these two incredible musicians. Uh, can't pass that up. But it wouldn't happen without Spoleto. So thank you, Spoleto. <laughs> so let's welcome Tyler and James and the band uh, to the stage. So we have uh, Tony Monzo back on bass, Daniel Phillips, Livia Sohn, myself, and uh, Christopher Costanza and Peja Mutsievich, a uh, continuo, basically cello and, and harpsichord. <laughs> and of course, our protagonists, Tyler Duncan, James Smith.
Meines Leibes ketten, der Herr erretten. Ach, wäre doch meine Abschied hier. Mit Freuden sah ich Welt zu dir. Ich habe genug.
kommt das schöne Nun, da ich in Frieden fahren will und in dem Sand That was J.S. Bach, Cantata Ich Habe Genug, BWV 82, 
performed by Tyler Duncan, baritone, James Austin Smith, oboe, and the Spoleto Chamber Music String Band. You really get a sense of Johann Sebastian Bach's devout religious fervor in that music. Even though he wrote hundreds of cantatas, it seems like this may have been really special and close to his heart. And I just love how, even though some of those arias are beautiful sound worlds all of their own, that when you piece them all together, all five movements linked together in the entire cantata, it just it makes such an emotional, spiritual journey there. It's really beautiful. It's not even scratching the surface of describing it. Also, the, the combination of the sound world of the oboe and the baritone interweaving in those, those two arias is, is just so special. James... And Tyler have both been selling Ichaba Ganuk for many years, and I'm so glad we got a chance to do it on stage at Dock Street Theater. Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Bank of America and the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. Special thanks to Spoleto Festival USA. The engineer for this podcast is Duke Marcos. The producer is A.T. Shire. The executive producer is Sherry Hutchinson. I'm Jeff Nuttall. And I'm Bradley Fuller. Until next time, take care. <laughs>